Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, would you be turning to the book of Genesis? The book of Genesis, chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, and we'll begin there in just a moment. It is so good to see so many, especially so many that have been away from us for a while now. Uh, First and foremost, we're here today to honor God, to worship Him. We're thankful for that opportunity, but to see so many people and to be encouraged by that, uh, it's just wonderful and it is encouraging and we're thankful for your attendance. Hope that you can be back with us again uh, this afternoon at 1.30 as we'll take a look at another lesson from the book of Joshua. As we begin that discussion, we'll talk more about that here as we go through the lesson this morning. Uh, but just, It is wonderful to see you and so many that have been away for, for a while that we've been praying for. We often try to remind ourselves that we want to pray for those who are sick, those who are away from us for their good health, but we also want to give thanks uh, when prayers are answered we see folks return to us again. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I, bless those, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When we think about Genesis chapter 12, in these first few verses, God made three promises to Abraham. More than likely, your Bible calls him Abram at this point. But to Abraham, one great promise was that of a great nation. This great nation would be the children of Israel that would be gathered together in Exodus chapter 19 as we then begin to move forward through the Old Testament We think about Exodus chapter 19, these people are gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai, ready to receive the law. Abraham did not see this great promise of a nation, a great nation fulfilled, but it was. Those special people to God had been led out of Egypt and out of Egyptian bondage by a man who we meet as a baby in Exodus chapter 2. Moses is born And he's raised, and in chapter 3, Moses meets God at the burning bush. He's God's chosen leader, and lead, he certainly does. Through the plagues, out of Egypt, through the Red Sea on dry ground, through the giving and the receiving of the law in Exodus chapter 20, Moses is, even as we say in today's parlance, Moses is the man. He's the one. He's the leader. His leadership, of course, is not without incident, though. If you recall your Old Testament history, you know that in Numbers chapter 13, 12 spies are chosen to go out and to spy this promised land. Our kids know the song because we sing it at our vacation Bible school and and sing it at other things, but 10 saw bad, right? And 2 saw good. And the people of God... The people, the people of God, who had not but just a few pages ago on your Bible, and not that long ago, had marched through a riverbed on dry ground, who had not long ago watched God work through plagues, where people are suffering, but not them, where people are seeing the handiwork of God, not in the sense of the beautiful sunshiny day that we see out here, but through destruction in some cases and death. These same people, in Numbers chapter 14 and verse number 1, tells us that these same people wept. 
and they wept all night. They said, if only we had just stayed in bondage. I mean, can you imagine? We are so thankful for this country that we live in. And we know that it's got its problems, but we're thankful that we don't live in bondage. That we're not suffering under some regime or people who tell us that we cannot worship God or have his word. But they will pray. Essentially, they will weep saying, I wish we had stayed under the thumb of Pharaoh. Or they say, we wish we were dead. I I mean, we'd rather be dead on the ground than having to to be where they are currently. And in Numbers, here in Numbers, Moses intercedes for the people. But God still rules that as a punishment, those who are aged 20 and older will not see the promised land. The magic number there is the age of 20. And just a page or two later, again in your Bible, in Numbers chapter 20, Moses is told to speak to the rock at Kadesh and that water would come out to help the people. But he doesn't listen. He doesn't obey and he strikes the rock twice. And yes, water still comes out. God still blesses the people with the water that they needed. But God informs Moses that he will not enter that promised land. Moses leads God's people for 40 years. 40 years after they walked out of the land of Egypt and away from Pharaoh, they have finally arrived on the east side of the Jordan River. They have not yet taken the land, and God's promise is not fully complete. But in Deuteronomy chapter 34, as we now move forward almost to the book of Joshua, Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse number 5, the Bible tells us that Moses, the servant of the Lord, is now dead. Verse 7 tells us that Moses was 120 years old when he died, and the people mourned. A great leader is now gone. And this, as we think about it even here in verse number 10, it tells us, this particular chapter, this book tells us beginning in verse number 10, but since then, that time, there has not arisen, arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants and in all his land, and by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. The question now for you and for me is, have you ever witnessed a power change before? Have you ever witnessed a, a regime change, if you will, a new boss, maybe more likely for us? Have you ever had a new leader that stepped into a position at work, and in particular, one who is going to step into the role of someone who was beloved, who had served for 40 years? It can be quite frightening. I'll never forget the steel company that I worked for. Everyone here in the company was from Chattanooga or from Tennessee, Georgia, around here. And and one of our greatest fears was always kind of a joke that one day the boss would get ready to step down. And our company was headquartered in South Bend, Indiana, all the way, of course, about as far north as you can get. And we'd always kind of worry that eventually a new boss would come down and it'd be somebody from up north who didn't even know what sweet tea was. I mean, how dare they, right? And it was scary to think about that somebody might come down that doesn't quite hold to the same southern values and the way that we do things around here. 
I mean, it was a joke, but we would know. If you got on a conference call with somebody from up north, you know, they talk much faster than we do, right? It's just a completely different world sometimes. And so it was always this worry, kind of like, well, what would happen? Who's going to take over? And that may sound superfluous in a way, but it can be a big deal. I know it's just basketball, but some of you even kept up yesterday with the news that Duke University coach Mike Chizeski was stepping down after 42 years. It was on television and all day long. About the same amount of time, I get it's just basketball, it's just our country, but about the same amount of time, it's that big a deal because somebody has served for that long and now somebody else is going to be stepping into that role. To lose someone after so long brings about just a bit of trepidation, does it not? I've been telling you for a while that we're going to start a study on the book of Joshua. Our young people have been studying Joshua now for several months in preparation for the Bible Bowl that will be coming up the, the last leaders convention. About six weeks from now, we'll hopefully, God be willing, assemble with a large crowd there in Nashville, and they'll compete in a competition. Next Sunday, God be willing, we'll sit in here probably together and take the test. They'll take a test of everything that they've studied so far in the book of Joshua. A few years ago, as we started here, and Charles and Shannon and several others wanted to get the program started here for Lads to Leaders, I decided it'd be great if we could encourage our young people. It would help them. I hope that maybe they'll get one of those questions right on the test because it's something we've talked about last week or, or this week or next week. But not only will it help them maybe as we talk about it, but certainly, absolutely, it will be beneficial for us to consider some of the good things that come about from the book of Joshua. And if you are now in your Bible, open to the book of Joshua. As the book opens, we find the theme of our convention. It's been on the screen for a few minutes now, but really the theme of the book of Joshua is the title of our lesson today. If you have your bulletin in front of you in an outline, be strong and of good courage, or be strong and courageous, depending on the version of the Bible you may have in front of you. Three times if you're open there, verse 6, verse 7, and verse 9, Three times in this opening message from the God of heaven to the new leader Joshua, this phrase is repeated. To remind Joshua to not be fearful. God is telling him, I know it's tough. Look, I understand. Yes, it will be hard, but you can do it. You can lead. And even the last time, if you have your Bible open there to verse number 9, you would notice that God says to be strong and of good courage. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's not how many push-ups he could do. It's not the diet that he had been eating. But because he had the Lord on his side, Joshua is ready to step into that position and lead the children of Israel. As we consider Joshua and his life in just sort of a brief way of introduction this morning, by means of introduction to learning about him, let's notice three things as we begin. First of all, this morning, we would notice that he was Moses' servant or assistant. We go all the way back to Exodus again, Exodus chapter 24 and verse number 13, and we see that Moses, or as Moses, has been interacting with God and receiving the law and giving the law to the people that the Bible records that Moses arose with his assistant, Joshua. And this phrase again is used there in Joshua chapter 1, in verse 1. As we think about jo jo excuse me, Joshua and his work with Moses, this was a new day, this was a new position, but Joshua was not some random person chosen off the street. 
just kind of, mm, let's see who's the best looking, who's the tallest, who seems to be the smartest. He wasn't just randomly chosen out of the crowd. He had been with Moses. He had served with him and probably, I think we can say pretty safely, had been in preparation for just this type of moment. Joshua was not a nobody, but he's somebody who had been serving with Moses. Number two, we see that he was secondly a military leader. Once again, going back to Exodus, Exodus chapter 17, Exodus chapter 17 verses 8 through 16. The children of Israel have crossed the Red Sea and now Amalek comes to battle. And the Bible tells us in verse 10 of Exodus 17 that after being instructed by Moses to gather men together that Joshua fights with Amalek. And you remember this occasion, don't you? This is the one where, where Moses, when his hands are raised, the children of Israel, and it says, when Moses holds up his hand that Israel prevails, but when his hands are let down, Amalek prevails. So Aaron and Hur, they get the rock, they sit it underneath them. Aaron and Hur stand on either side and hold up Moses' hands. And in verse 13, the Bible says that so that Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. He's a military leader, battle-hardened, tested, ready to serve. But number three, we see that he was also maybe the most memorable note about Joshua, of course, a spy. When we go back to Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 14, we see there that it is Joshua, who was not one of the ten who saw bad, but one of the two who saw good, with Caleb by his side. They go into the land of Canaan, these spies do, 12 of them for 40 days, and they come back. And in chapter 13 of Numbers, in verse 27, they begin to report, yes, the people are strong. Yes, the cities are fortified. But Caleb says in verse 30, we are well able. We are well able to overcome it. Well, how do you know that, Caleb? How is it that you can say that to us? Because you're already telling us that they're big, they're strong, they're going to be hard to defeat. Well, after the people whine and complain, in chapter 14 and verse 8, Joshua and Caleb are saying to the people, do not fear them. We're not going to lie. They're strong. They're fortified. But do not fear them. And even before God encourages Joshua, as he does in Joshua 1, we said it just a few moments ago, they're in numbers. God encourages them, and then they encourage the people with these words, do not fear them. And what does he say? How do you know it, Caleb? The Lord is with us. Now, before we get to some lessons, as we think about the beginning of the book of Joshua, we learn a couple of other reminders that are worth noting here in Joshua chapter 1 and the death of Moses in particular. The first lesson we might say of two parts here. Number one, God's servants are not exempt from death. This may be a pertinent point for us to mention, even as we talked last week about the fear of death. God's servants are not exempt from death. God begins this great speech to Joshua with the very heavy words of finality, Moses, my servant, is dead. As King David neared the end of his life, he would say in 1 Kings chapter 2, in verse number 2, I go the way of all the earth, and so do men, both great and small, both godly and ungodly. We all go the way of the earth. This is not something to cause us to fear, as we said last week, but to understand the importance of raising up the next generation of God's servants. 
I appreciate our men so much who stop and pray in the middle of their prayers for our young people. We appreciate their encouragement up here. As we lose members of this great congregation, people who, whom we love dearly, we sorrow and we are, we're sad. It hurts. There's a hole, in a sense, in the congregation when we love, lose someone who has meant so much to the work here at Saudi. But it's also a reminder that we're not exempt from death. And we need to be raising the next generation of God's servants. Even as they are already beginning to serve, we need to be thinking about them. As we pointed out a moment ago, before Joshua ever led the children of Israel, he was trained to serve Moses and to serve Israel. But in connection with this, God's servants are not exempt from death as we see Moses dying. But number two, we realize that the work must go on. But preacher, shouldn't we pause and mourn? Who are you to say move on? But I didn't say it. God said it. Look at verse 2 again. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan. If you look back at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 34 there, they had mourned Moses for 30 days, according to Deuteronomy 34 in verse number 8. But almost as coldly as it reads for us, and I get it, we're just reading the words on the paper, it sounds very harsh, very cold, but almost as coldly as it reads for us in verse number 8, it says, So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. There's a time to live and a time to die. There's a time to weep and there's a time to move on. This was a huge loss. This was a momentous occasion. These are the things, the kind of deaths that we pause for in our world today where we stop and honor someone so great. But the work must go on. They weren't allowed to stop right there and not go further. God's work has been and always will be bigger than any one person. Think about Moses' death. Think about how we talked about last Sunday morning about Acts chapter 7 and the death of Stephen. There was a body on the ground. One of their friends, one of their brothers is gone. He needs to be buried, but that cannot stop the furthering of the gospel. Yes, they were scattered, but as Acts chapter 8 and verse number 4 reminds us, as they were scattered, they went about preaching the word. God's servants are not exempt from death, and the work must go on. There's so much in the book of Joshua, so many great things for us to consider, more than we will have time to cover in just a couple of weeks. But before we conclude this morning, just primarily as we think about the beginning, this opening speech from Jehovah God to his servant Joshua, there are three other lessons I think that are worth our consideration, and then this lesson will be yours. Number one, God keeps his promises. As our brother Eric Owens is known for saying, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, yes, he does. God keeps his promises. God reminds Joshua of that very fact in this speech. Look at verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. God doesn't have anything to prove necessarily to Joshua, but is a helpful reminder just as I said, that's exactly what happened. God is in a sense, although without the sarcastic remarks that we sometimes give, God is saying in a sense, I told you so. 
Or I told him so, and because I told him so, it's just as good as telling you so. If God has said it, that settles it. It's done, and it's as done as done can be. We began just a few moments ago in Genesis chapter 12, because yes, there in Genesis 12, there was the promise of a great nation. We touched on it. And yes, like this, it was fulfilled. And yes, we don't have time this morning to delve into it here, but there was also in Genesis 12 the messianic promise because God speaks of seed. And the seed promise is fulfilled in Jesus coming to this earth to live and to die as is spoken of in Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 16. So there was the fulfillment of the nation The nation promise, there's the fulfillment of the seed promise, but God also said in Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 7 that he would give to Abraham's descendants the land of Canaan as an inheritance. And the book of Joshua, understand this up front before we get into the next few weeks, the book of Joshua is about this fulfillment. We know according to Galatians, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians, we know according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 9 that God is faithful. But it is the book of Joshua that helps remind us that when he makes a promise, it's better than anything that we can say here on this earth. I think I've said it before here from this pulpit or from a class session, but I always use the illustration of my father-in-law, although a bit outdated that it is becoming. I give him a hard time because he always says, he's used it for years, if I promise Jerry that he can borrow my mule tomorrow, and that's probably where the outdated part comes in, not Jerry. Jerry's not the outdated part. Don't don't get confused there. It's not Jerry, but it's the mule. But if I promise Jerry that he can borrow my mule tomorrow, and then my mule dies overnight, I didn't keep my promise to Jerry. Now, it wasn't exactly my fault. I can't help my mule dying, but I am human, and I couldn't keep my promise. And that's not the way it works with God. If God said it, that settles it. If he says it will happen, it will happen. When God says that there is a place prepared where there will be no more dying, no more sorrow, no more tears, you better believe that's a promise that he will keep. When Paul writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a promise of God, if you will, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 9, that there is a place of everlasting destruction, where those who are punished are separated from God, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, you better believe that is a promise that God will keep as well. Number two, God wants his servants to be strong and courageous. Yes, as we've already pointed out, he emphasizes this to Joshua three times in this opening message Joshua chapter 1. But God has always and will always want his servants to serve him with strength. Do you remember in Judges chapter 7? Judges chapter 7 and verse 3. That Gideon loses 22,000 of his forces because God says to tell those who are afraid, go on home. If you're that worried about it and that afraid, go on home. And Gideon's left with about 10,000 watching more than half his army walk away home afraid. God wants his servants to be strong and courageous. We think of the young man David who faced the literal giant. Yes, the literal 
giant in 1 Samuel chapter 17 with strength and with courage because of God on his side. And so on and so forth, the stories continue even until the words of Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, that the Lord's army needs soldiers who are committed, who are brave, who are strong. That's the kind of people that the Lord's army needs to be serving him. Yes, God wants his servants to be strong and courageous. Amidst everything that's happened in the past and even up until 2022. Yes, we can learn that from the book of Joshua. And then number three this morning, one final lesson from God to Joshua. If you're still there in Joshua chapter one, we'll notice from verse number eight. God says that his desire for Joshua, and I think we can say for us today, is that his law, the word of God, be number one in our mind. God says here to Joshua that he should meditate in it day and night. His law, his book, his words, they need to be in our mind. God tells Joshua that the book of the law should be something on which he meditates day and night. You recall even before that, that was the promise of God. The instructions of God in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. We sometimes call it the Shema or the Shema there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. You should love him with all your heart, soul, and strength. But he goes on further and says you should take all these things and teach them diligently to your children. When you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up, write them on your doorposts and your gates. I think we could kind of sum that up, not to put words in God's mouth, but say his word needs to be in our mind. Ever before us, constantly, something that we think about. But not only that, it should be in our mouth. He tells him here that it should not depart from your mouth. Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, when it's in our heart, Jesus then talks in the gospel according to Matthew about how that's what comes out of our body. That's what shows forth our words. Our actions come from what's in our heart, and it should be the book of the law. That's in our mind and in our mouth. This is something that you're constantly saying. Something that you're constantly quoting. Something that you're constantly thinking about. God wants his law to be in our mind, in our mouth, and even in our actions. While those two things are great in our mind and in our mouth, we talked about this in our Wednesday night class very recently, but it's not worth very much if it doesn't lead to action. We drill these kids, we work them hard, we go over these questions any way that we can, but we also try to instruct them and help realize that it's not just about memorizing facts. It's about learning how Joshua is a great book about the fulfillment of the promises of God, the instructions of God, about being strong and courageous and not fearing even though you face battle. We do our best through, yes, learning this book to also teach them the things that are contained therein. Keep it in your mouth, keep it in your mind, but let it control your actions. Do you recall that James gives similar, gives similar encouragement in his opening words? James chapter 1 and verse 22. Be doers of the word and not just hearers only. He, then James says, for that is deceiving yourselves. 
If you want to be a blessed man, verse 45, do not be a forgetful hearer, but be a doer of the word. God says, I want you to meditate in it day and night. I want it to not depart from your mouth. And he says there that you may observe to do. Take it, learn it, memorize it, speak it, but do the things that are contained therein. Brothers and sisters, friends, this morning we can be in the same position as Joshua. When God finishes his message of encouragement to Joshua there, we can be in the same position as him by realizing that the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We live under the New Covenant, the New Testament, but there's an interesting passage, one final one here if you still have your Bible there, found in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 13, the end of verse 5 and, and excuse me, verse 6, the Hebrew writer actually is quoting from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 31, where Moses is not dead but about to die, and Joshua is beginning to step into this role. There's the passing of this torch that is beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 31, and in Hebrews 13, the Hebrew writer quotes this same message about contentment. He says, be content with such things as you have. That's the Hebrew writer writing to the people who would read his epistle. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself, coming now from Deuteronomy, for God himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man possibly even do to me? As we conclude this sermon this morning, the message is the same. We do not have to fear. We can be strong and of good courage if we are on God's side. If we can say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? We're about to sing this song of encouragement that's been selected this morning. And we sing to encourage anyone here who is not a Christian, a child of God. God has given us in his word his simple plan of salvation. As we think about this song of encouragement, we think about the song that we sang just a few moments ago. On Jordan's stormy banks, I stand. We stand and we cast a wishful eye over to that promise. We will rest in the fair and happy land by and by. You can have that rest. You can have that promise if you will be, become a child of God, if you will begin to serve him, being washed in the blood, allowing him to add you to his church. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've done that and you know that hope. You've laid hold of it in a sense, but maybe you've allowed sin to separate you from God. We're thankful for this opportunity that presents itself, that you can come back to him, confess your sin, even before an audience like this, repent of it and pray for forgiveness. And God is faithful to forgive you. We're thankful for this moment that presents itself, for this song that's been selected. And we will be singing to encourage you as one of our elders has come to the front here to encourage you this morning. If you would like to share something before this great audience that we can help you with, whether it be becoming a Christian or come back to him, we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.